As we are heading into September, the late summer sun gently touching our agricultural lands, we are once again in a transition. From summer bounty to fall, as the seasonal preparation for winter, the last push of life before the months of darkness and hibernation and recovery. Time for us to get an update from the fields, late summer produce. That's our topic here today on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg, and I'm in the studio today with some of my dear friends in this work of advocating for and creating a more sustainable, healthier world, a more conscientious way of living this life in our attempt to be better, more responsible stewards of this beautiful planet that surely can use a bit more love these days and always. Every few months, we give you an update from the fields here on An Organic Conversation, and we will do so again today as we are looking at late summer produce. What is leaving us and what is coming? How does it need to be handled and stored? What are the prices we need to expect and why? An entire episode to expand our understanding of agriculture, organic agriculture that is, and the reality of a farmer's life. Late summer produce, an update from the fields. That is our topic. All that and more coming up in just a minute here today on An Organic Conversation. I'm your host, Helge Helberg, and this show is made possible by Fry Vineyards. In celebration of the 2017 Great American Solar Eclipse, Fry Vineyards, in collaboration with GreatAmericanEclipse.com, are proud to bring you a limited supply of special releases such as Umbra, Organic Zinfandel, Umbra Organic Chardonnay and Totality, their first organic sparkling wine to celebrate the solar eclipse of 2017. Frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And Bear Belly Organics, offering a complete product line of natural sunscreens and organic skincare for children and adults, and even baby-safe creams and sunscreens. Bare Belly Organics uses natural minerals and organic ingredients and never harmful chemicals. Handmade sunscreens and organic skin care at barebellyorganics.com. Late summer produce, an update from the fields. That's our topic here today on An Organic Conversation. And I'm joined in the studio by three experts in updates from the fields in produce. That's the crew from Earl's Organic Produce, or at least a part of the crew. With me is Earl Herrick, the founder and owner of Earl's Organic Produce, Christy Biddle, one of the top buyers, and Anthony Mirashada also a produce buyer at Earl's Organic Produce. Welcome to the studio. 
Hi, Helga. <laughs> How you doing? Great to have you. You have all have very specific areas of expertise and focus on buying. What is that for you right now, Christy? Let's start with you. What are you focused on right now? What is leaving? What were the last two weeks or three weeks of your work? And what are you excited about coming up? Sure. So berries are kind of wrapping up right now out of the Pacific Northwest, blueberries specifically. Stone fruit has also wrapped up in California, and we're getting into the Pacific Northwest and Washington stone fruit season. Grapes out of California are absolutely fantastic and uh, really delicious. Nice. Anthony, how about you? What's your main focus? Yeah, so it's uh, it's been an interesting summer season, and um, kind of looking back on it, you know, since the end of May through June, and, and now, you know, well into August, looking into September, it's been a great time, you know, working with a lot of different smaller growers and just a multitude of uh, beautiful, you know, different vegetables that are coming out of the fields. Like what right now exactly? What are you excited about? Well, what's, you know, what's always on my mind and what I'm excited about is really tomatoes. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of great stuff coming out right now. Uh, so many different colors, varieties, sizes, and shapes. Um, you this know, is really the month, right? End of August, September. This is like the yeah. peak of tomato. Yeah, it, It, it came up this year in particular. Everybody kind of gets excited about tomatoes earlier. As as soon as summer, summer kind of arrives, June, July, people are really excited, wanting more, you know, more varieties. And um, really, it doesn't start happening in California until we get through August and even into September. Um, that's kind of prime time for, for uh, summer tomatoes. Yeah, funny. I mean, it's such an icon of summer, fresh tomatoes. And yet, you know, they're okay, but they're really only great in, in late fall, especially the heirlooms, right? Late summer, early fall, yeah. August, September. Earl, are you still buying or are you running Earl's Organic Produce and visit farmers and do you do the, the other fun part? Oh, my fun is to uh, be interacting with Anthony and Christy and the other buyers and the salespeople. And, and running the business, we're, we're doing a lot of hiring. I put a lot of attention on operations right now. And um, a couple weeks ago, went out to visit a farm in the Delta of California. Took about half a dozen of us went out there. So in some sense, I get, I get to mentor. I get to observe from, you know, any particular aspects and perspectives. And also to, to start and maintain my eye on what's going on in, in, the, in the near future and about five years out. What does that mean, five years out? What do you... Well, uh, uh, you know, first of all, that's a difficult question for me because I'm not a planner. But in looking at that, it is, for example, something like an Amazon Whole Foods transaction happens and it ripples through the market and everybody has these depending upon where you are in the marketplace, whether it's catastrophic or, or some real positive expectation. And for me, I kind of listen to that and go, okay, how is that going to affect us? And I don't know if we're lucky or maybe it's just my limited point of view, but it, it all fits in the same avenue for me. So I'm, I'm almost entirely encouraged about continuing to improve on what we're doing. And that is, of course, buying and selling and, and doing those things as best we can, but also continuing to educate and maintain that customer relationship with the grower as best we can. So really, really just exploit that in, in the most positive way. And we had talked about uh, Amazon buying Whole Foods a yeah. few weeks back of the opportunity of more relationships. How do you see it now that it has kind of a little bit settled in? I see it as... The opportunity for the consumer to get further away from the grower is just more and more increased, if, whether for whatever reason. 
efficiencies, for ease of, of transactions. But I believe, and most of us here at Earl's believe, that there's always going to be that that thrust, that desire to know more and more about what you're buying. I and mean, we've seen that cycle, and I think it's just going to continue to arc in our favor. So, for example, on that Delta farm tour that I was able to enjoy, this one packing house has eight different growers. I did not know that. I thought it was all one. So um, we're developing the, the information about those other growers so we can share that with our clients. And that is just a very positive thing. Oh, I, they'll have the same reaction I do, I believe, which is, oh, wow, what's this really about? So that's a that's a great segue. Christy, yeah. do you feel th that that have an impact on Amazon buying Whole Foods on on the farmers that you speak with? I mean, you you literally are the the voice of the collective Bay Area, local California, depending on the season, um, even maybe Mexico and even further away. But you guys buy as local as seasonally possible, right? That's really the term. Mm -hmm. If it's if it's available in an excellent quality as close to San Francisco Bay Area as possible and then going as far away as you have to in order to find excellence. But so you, you are really the, the voice and the ear of, of organic agriculture as local as it's seasonally possible. Do you feel that? Was that a topic? Did farmers bring that up? Is it on people's minds or is it a concern? I think it certainly is on everyone's mind how that's really going to change things. And at this point, there are a lot of unknowns around that. I think exactly what Earl expressed is the way that we're seeing it. We just continue to really represent the farmer, represent all of the unique varieties of peaches and cherries and stone fruit that our growers are offering to really, you know, retain all of that varietal information and the farmer's story, which might get lost, you know, with an Amazon really representing the uniqueness and did that of, come orga up? of you, organic produce and farmers. Did you feel like that was a topic? Did farmers bring it up, their concern or their worry or their hope out of this development? You know, I think everyone's just very curious at this point. What so. will happen? Mm -hmm. How it will affect them? Yeah. How about you, Anthony? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's on everybody's mind. I think at this point it's still a little bit early, but um, you know, nobody really knows which direction it's going to turn. But I think in light of that and, you know, what, what – makes us successful at Earl's and what, you know, we are really good at is, um, you know, making the connection from the, from the farm to the customer, you know, um, developing those labels, developing those relationships and really getting it through to everybody that is actually, you know, the end, the end consumer of that product. And, you know, that's, that's really where our heart is and, you know, what, what really makes this work so well. Great. Yes. And that brings us, you know, the, the idea to homogenize the food system and not deal with the with the uh, you know areas of weather or changing and pricing every week because that's something the bigger you get you have to kind of maneuver that because people have an expectation when you're somebody like Amazon you guys are working as closely trying to get the most money for the farmers so that they can stay in business how does this all translate into the the pricing that we've seen this year? And this is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. Late summer produce and update from the fields is our topic in this hour. And I'm joined here by Christy Biddle, Earl Herrick, and Anthony Mirashada, the experts on local produce, all, of course, from Earl's Organic Produce. Our seasonal update of what's leaving us and what's coming in we've seen some really interesting pricing this year through the roof with some items uh, that's not 
you guys or the farmer taking advantage, but kind of a result of needing to charge that because maybe half the crop was not developing or what it's a result of demand and supply of course christy how how does how does the pricing come to bear like why have we seen such extreme pricing this year well exactly what you just touched on you know ultimately it really comes down to supply and demand and specifically with california stone fruit this year we saw much stronger pricing than the last few years One of the reasons for that, specifically with apricots and the early season plums, is in mid-February, you know, we were continuing to get more and more rain this year than we have for many years, and that continued into about mid-February when the apricot and plum trees were blossoming, and the bees needed to be out and pollinating those trees to really have a full crop. You know, it's about a two-day window where those trees are blossoming and they need to be pollinated. Two-day or two-week? Two weeks. Two weeks, yes. Yes. And for about seven to ten of those days, it rained consistently. So that really wow. limited the pollination on those two uh, classes of stone fruit specifically. So the apricot crop was down about 50% and the early season plums 30 to 40%. So ultimately, if your supply is affected and limited that much, the prices are going to be stronger. I mean, that, that's an, that's. In, amazing to me that as a stone fruit grower, you have a two-week window of pollination, and if you happen to miss it, then what? You don't get any fruit that year's done. <laughs> like yeah. those two weeks define the entire year of production. Really, is that? Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's scary. Uh, <laughs> I remember talking to one grower that had a failure, and and com, you know, on my end of the phone, I didn't even know what to say, and they were taking it totally in stride. Now, I don't want to minimize the impact on them. But the point for me was his, it was a a man, Masamoto actually, that... um, Who we had on the show, Masamoto. Yeah, he's just totally grounded in what he has to do and how it all works. How do you compensate? It means basically an entire, you still have to, some work, maybe you don't need to put the full work in so you can cut costs a little bit, but zero income, how do you... Yeah, you get another loan. Get another loan. Yeah, I mean, the the economics are crazy. You know... I really want to make a point that the demand is continuing to increase. And that, as much as anything, is really driving the prices. Now, we've definitely had some, you know, the rains and coming out of drought years, that had a lot of effect, too. But the demand is just very, very strong. What do you see, Anthony, for the areas that you buy where prices are record high because of some seasonal water, whatever the issue yeah, so Maybe. something something that's really interesting to to always keep in mind that people don't always think of is uh, you know the the crops no matter what the crop is it has a certain amount of time that it has to be in the ground. So if that uh, seedling or seed can't be planted as it was planned, then you know the the actual harvest is not going to be there. You know, sixty, ninety, a hundred days from when it was supposed to be planned. So. What ended up happening uh, as early back as the um, spring into the summer transition from the southern growing regions up to the uh, the more kind of Salinas-Watsonville area this year is the rains continued when the transition should have been taking place. So right from the beginning of the early summer season, there were serious delays where they just could not get the crops in the field. Why? Because the, it's too clay, too, too heavy, the yeah. soil, to bring equipment in? Is that the main? Yeah, a, a lot of it is getting equipment out there to, to do the transplants. And um, and also at that point, you know, February, March, the, the, the rains were still happening in, uh, in Northern California, in the valley. So that really pushed things back from the very beginning. And then, you know, it kind of followed this pattern of 
general very high sales um, on most uh, vegetable commodities throughout the entire season. Interesting that you would see in the news, you know, finally, after seven years of drought, the rains are here, everyone is happy, and the conversation is actually so much more com complex than that, right? There's so many more sides to it, from the bees for two weeks, missing that, losing an entire stone fruit crop for the year. Uh, you don't get another chance, so take another loan, do it again next year, hoping for better weather. Yes, we wanted the the rain, and we needed the rain, but what else has been really slowing down or been dif different now five months later do you see something like that still affecting other than the, the growing and the crops coming in later but what else that broccoli yeah talk about that broccoli <laughs> i don't know what that well, means the... but <laughs> we're talking about broccoli here on an organic conversation it's late summer produce and update from the fields with the crew from earl's organic produce anthony tell us about that broccoli so what uh what ended up happening is that after the rains did finally subside uh a little bit later than expected you know a, a lot of larger and smaller growers were kind of push back into, you know, up to as long as two month delays kind of behind where they wanted to be at that point. A lot of really high temperatures kind of moved in right after that. And um, what ended up happening was uh, the, you know, there, there was more groundwater, the soil was kind of more saturated due to the rains, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it was pretty good. And then um, sounds like pests to me. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, oh, good. I didn't the, know. The heat that came in with the uh, the moist soil kind of stressed the plants out and just became a, a total breeding ground and feeding ground for, in particular, aphids, which attacked the brassica family quite a bit. So in particular, broccoli, uh, I would say at this point over the past month or month and a half, prices have been through the roof. Um, we've seen a lot of different diseases on the, on the plants themselves and um, a lot of uh, insect pressure. And people, you know, farmers just kind of abandoning fields because uh, there's nothing you can save out of them. A lot of different diseases in the actual broccoli crown, you know, things like pin rot, little brown kind of florets spreading and happening. And then the, the aphids, you know, just kind of attacking the plant at, it, at its growing mm -hmm. core and just uh, wiping it out. So organic agriculture is all about creating that ecological balance in the field, right? They, they see what's going on and then maybe introduce some beneficial wasps or something, but like a just touch impulses to restore the balance. And non-organic farmer, of course, in this case, would spray. Uh, we don't have numbers here on how much more is being sprayed because of the rain and the pest pressure that has come up. But it's interesting that after six, seven years plus of drought, rain, of course, is needed or water is needed. It can get so out of balance that mechanical means or hand labor no longer cuts it, right? Are there other crops that you have observed, Christy, where people just walk away because for this year it just can't be salvaged? I don't know that on the fruit side we've ne necessarily seen that. It certainly affected the volumes of different commodities, but I don't know that entire crops or fields, orchards have been abandoned. We uh -huh. don't, you know, some common, some common things happen all the time that you don't necessarily hear about, that uh, strawberries in California thrive on the coast. 
So they have this great marine influence, and it, and it maintains this very constant temperature. So if anything, the constant temperature is what almost all produce wants. I want to touch back on broccoli for a moment. One of the reasons we had the irregularity of the, of the quality is these spikes in temperature. You go along at 80, 85, and all of a sudden you have a weekend of 100 and 110. Then it comes back to 90, 95 again. And, and those, the, the, those kind of exaggerations, they stress the plant, and all sorts of things happen then. They're more susceptible to pests and disease and all sorts of crazy things. But anyway, go back to strawberries now. So at any time, they can have a spike, like we've been having incredible 100-degree temperatures here, and occasionally they hit on the coast. And in that time, the growers, if there is no anticipation, they're going to lose that crop. If there is anticipation, they go out ahead of time, pick all the ripe fruit and anything even marginally ripe, knowing that after that event, whether it's heat or rain, they come in, discard everything that's on the plant and wait for it to regrow again. So, I mean, that's something that happens all the time. So you need to have a certain amount of scale to be able to absorb that. And those, and hopefully the market can bear what's a $12 market for the last week all of a sudden spikes to 17 or 18 Yeah, I think this is the exact missing conversation when people look at the pricing and, and say organic is more expensive. It seems unjustifiable. Yeah. And this is exactly what they go through, right? Yeah. It's that extra effort. They don't have the... The chemical means to adjust for pest pressure. They might need to abandon a field if it's too bad, if that ecological balance is too disturbed for that year because of weather. So, yeah, I always get the sense that organic food shouldn't be more expensive. And I, I think this is exactly the conversation that's missing to show that it has to be more expensive. It's way more stress and labor and focus and more dependency on weather conditions than what chemicals allow you to just be mainstream maintaining. Right? Well, you have less tools. That's right. You know, or they're very specific tools yeah. that are, are marginalized on some extreme situations. You know, I'm almost thinking retailers should have these monitors up by their broccoli displays, and they have a constant revolving show of the, the storms that were happening back in March and April going. So this is why the, the price the is $4 a pound, because the, the crop was completely wiped out. And that's what this conversation is for. And this conversation is an update from the fields here on an organic conversation. Late summer produce in the studio with me, Earl Herrick, Christy Biddle, and Anthony Mirishada. We're taking a quick break to honor our underwriters, but we'll be right back with so much more, including the question of what to buy and how to store produce right now, because this weather... And I learned from Anthony that tomatoes are pretty thin-skinned right now, as many of us in this country. Uh, We'll talk about all that in just a second. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. Stay tuned for more. This show is brought to you by Equal Exchange, a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas, and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at equalexchange.coop. That's equalexchange.coop. And by Adderley, offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Each garment reduces our eco-footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Utterly, making sustainability fashionable 
and fashion sustainable. For more information, utterly.co. That's U-T-T-E-R-L-Y dot C-O. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Late summer produce in our transition into September, into fall, to get ready for the winter months of darkness, hibernation, and recovery, both for us as well as the fields. This is the last push of nature right now. An update from the fields here in this hour with Christy Biddle, Earl Herrick, and Anthony Mirashada, all the experts or part of the crew at Earl's that are the experts in local organic agriculture, as local as seasonally possible. And right now, this is the time really where the San Francisco Bay Area, the Central Valley, uh, lots is grown within a 200, 250 mile radius uh, in this bread basket of the country. And we talked before the break about tomatoes, how to store things well. I actually want to start with avocados in this conversation of what the consumer needs to look out for. Avocados, again, record high prices that we've seen this mm -hmm. year. That's really your expertise. Christy, uh, we are, again, twice a year, we're in an interesting transition from, over, uh, from the Mexican border or even south of that to local and from local back to that where are we right now and what do people need to pay attention to to not lose expensive avocados? Right now, we are just getting into the beginning of the Mexican avocado season. So if you're able to find any California avocados in your grocery stores, those are most likely coming out of Morro Bay, so one of the more northern uh, growing regions for avocados. Uh, those are going to be pretty mature if you're able to find them. So you would want to eat those while they're still a little more on the firm side. They're going to be high oil, so you want to be sure you don't kind of wait too long before that oil starts to go a little rancid and has a bit of an off-putting flavor. Uh, for the most part, what's starting to get into the stores now is the early season Mexican avocados. Uh, so we're really excited to see avocados from our friends at Equal Exchange, who is a fair trade avocado. They work with co-ops and different growers in Michoacan. We'll be seeing their avocados in the coming weeks. And we're going to continue to see just really record high prices on avocados as the Mexican season gets started. The first wave of the Mexican avocado crop is the Flor Loca Bloom. And that is a very small crop this year. So that's what we'll kind of start to see in September. You know, prices will remain really strong. That fruit's going to be the first coming off the trees, so you can leave it on your counter. I wouldn't even really refrigerate it because it'll take a little longer to ripen since it's the first fruit of the season. What does flora loca mean exactly? Uh, it literally translates as crazy flower. So it's not really the, the tr getting into the true season um, of Mexican avocados. It's an off bloom. Uh, why, why, why crazy? Because you can't, you can't rely it, on it. You don't know what it does. It's sporadic and minimal. Uh -huh. So it doesn't produce a lot of fruit. How would somebody know if they're holding a domestic California late harvest, late summer avocado versus the first of the Mexican or south of the border crop? 
There's a good chance that the Mexican, or I'm sorry, the California avocados will be a little darker skin tone because they are higher oil. And all of the California avocados generally have a California grown indication on the PLU sticker on the fruit as well. So it's really day and night, which is rare, right? I don't know many produce items where really from, from one season within a week or two or three, maybe you would handle it truly differently one could ruin the the other, right? If you leave a California avocado too long on the counter, it's going bad. If you put a Mexican or a south of the border equal exchange avocado in the fridge, it might not ripen. You might never so eat that. The, the consumer, I don't know, why is there so little education about that? Because the consumer needs to know right now how to not lose a $5 avocado. They would just say, think that it's not a good piece of produce, but it's entirely based on how you handle and store it. Absolutely. That's why we're here. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, you know, it's we, fascinating to me that I, yeah. I would not know without you guys. We all go into different stores. Uh, you know, we have our favorites. And even those stores which have a high a produce IQ, they very seldom identify the products. Occasionally they misidentify them. You know, it's a carryover from what they had last week. It is a real struggle. And that is our job. That's what we, that's what we move toward and, and continually pursue. And that is the educational element Honestly, not everybody is as interested as what we feel they, they could or should be. Well, but everyone is interested in the money, and you can't just try a cherry and think it's good or bad. An avocado is, you know, is you don't cut into it or you don't sample really an avocado. Maybe you yeah. should, but you wouldn't. I bought an avocado, nice big piece. After three weeks, it was exactly as rubbery as when I bought it, which just mm. not ripen. And I knew because yep. of Christy, yep. it was the missing oil that brought it back. I got a new one, and it ripened within three days, as it should. Bingo. So uh, amazing that with avocado, high-priced item, so again, if it's from California right now, end of August, early September, if you still see a California avocado, eat it right away or put it in the fridge. Uh, maybe eat it on the firm side because the oil goes rancid quickly. If it's an equal exchange, which is a co-op in itself, um, ensuring environmental and social justice with everyone they work with, if it's a Mexico south of the border, keep it on the counter for sure. Don't refrigerate it and give it a few more days. So this is the earliest that the crop is finished in, in my memory. I mean, well, here we are September, oh, really? and there's just the last bits of the California avocado. Because it was a weak season or because there's so much demand that people just bought whatever was there? Well, I think it's a combination uh, of the continual strong demand, and we had an off-season uh, and I also think there was a, a bit of orchards taken out of production during the drought. Yeah, I know you. you we had you on the, sh on the show either as a What's in Season segment or you here in the studio. I don't remember, but we talked about Super Bowl being like the you know the day of yeah. of avocado peak for the year, and then it kind of never dropped after that. I mean, well, avocados are amazingly famous right now. Well, yeah, to total hip item, right? <laughs> it is. Well, there's that avocado toast thing going on. But yeah, it's... it's oh, you can, mean on our website? <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. That will be inorganicconversation.com. Oh. But thanks for the plug. <laughs> yes. Five-minute breakfast. Well, you know, I, so, okay, I'm from Ohio, and I never had an avocado before I came out here. That was back in the 70s. And they're prolific. Uh, and, of course, they're you can find them in, in uh, cultures and countries all over the world. So... Yeah. Yeah, the Panza, more we travel, the more... Yeah, Guatemala, avocado, yeah, total cultural staple. Yeah. Um, and we talked about small fruit, and, and I want to get into that in, in a second, just price-wise, what people can do. But with avocado, I said it a few shows back, there are now smaller crops. I think it's still Haas. I think it's the same variety, but a little bit smaller. The size. Yeah, the size. Mm -hmm. I had 
actually some of these avocados being nuttier and yummier than the big ones. And they were, you know, two ninety nine or three forty nine instead of five ninety nine or five forty nine. So two dollars plus saved and the crop or the, the the product was as good or better. Amazing. Um, do you still see that? Do you still get deals right now or not so much with Mexican avocado coming in? Yeah, the smaller fruit is always going to be cheaper. And it's interesting, depending on who you ask. I know at Earl's, you know, we really prefer the larger fruit that's been on the tree for longer and generally is a little more mature and will have a richer flavor. But I have growers who, you know, I've been a little reluctant to branch into those really small avocados and they say they are eating amazing and they're just as good as the bigger fruit. So certainly, you know, it can still offer a great experience even when it's small. Nice. Anthony, tomatoes, we promised before the break, you told me something that I'd never heard that with the season moving on or even fading or now getting in kind of the peak of tomatoes, the skin gets thinner and the produce, the product changes. Why is that? What is happening exactly? Well, uh, you know, I think what uh, what's happening is you, you kind of have to realize the life cycle of the plant itself. And um, as the season continues on, uh, th those plants are getting older in the field. You know, they, they've been producing through uh, most of the summer now, and um, they're getting into uh, producing some of the last sets of fruit, some of the last flower sets. So the uh, inside of the tomato, you know, will, will have a, a higher water content. It doesn't really compromise the flavor, but... Um, a higher water content and kind of getting and pushing those seeds, the plant's reproductive cycle out towards the uh, the skin of the fruit and also producing a thinner skin. Which is fascinating, right? As as the season moves on, produce also gets sweeter usually, right? More ripe. And we, we talked about that when we prepared for the show. We had a biologist on the show a few weeks back and he was saying that, yes, fruit actually gets sweeter or if the water gets turned off, you stress the produce and or the plant and as a result, the produce gets sweeter. It's not just because of lack of water. It's also because the plant wants to be eaten to then have the seed be distributed by animals. It's an amazing mm. biological yeah. function that as stress increases, the plant wants to survive, makes itself really appealing to animals that then would eat it and distribute the seed further for the survival of the plant. That seems so genius. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's incredible. And, uh, you know, touching back on the broccoli or some of the brassicas that were stressed out, you know, once a plant, get, a plant gets stressed out due to heat or too much rain or lack of water, you know, the, the only thing it is driven to do at that point is produce seed. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of uh, an incredible thing. So as with avocado, would you keep tomatoes in the fridge right now or absolutely not? I don't think so. I mean, there, there's not many times throughout the season, I, I would say, to refrigerate tomatoes. I think it, uh, it kind of compromises or changes the texture of them. Tomatoes eat better when they're warm. And, you know, coming... Totally. Coming from us, you know, we they they hardly are in refrigeration. You know, we'll we'll get them on a on a cooler truck, uh, right out of the field. But um, we keep them at an ambient room temperature and uh, ship them out to the to the customer that way. What else? If we just go down as a consumer tip, what that you deal with? Cherries, stone fruit, figs, grapes, everything outside, or what is absolutely needs to be refrigerated? We already learned avocado. If it's Mexican. 
keep it on the counter. If it's domestic still, California, put it in the fridge for sure. Christy, what else do you deal with that you would say yes or no, fridge or no right now? Yeah. Any berries that you buy, you want to keep in the fridge. You know, keeping them as cool as possible is really important for the shelf life of the fruit. Because it's late season, the sugar just breaks them down in a day or two. Yeah, and in general, once they warm up, they're going to just start to kind of break down or, or ripen. So you'll want to eat them very soon after you have them out of refrigeration. Grapes are another one that you really want to keep in the fridge. Keeping the temperature cool all the way until you're about to eat them is best for them as well. And really any fruit, you know, right before you eat it in a perfect world, if you could take it out of your fridge for half an hour and let it sit, then it's going to really warm up and that flavor will come out. But until you're ready to eat it, you would want to keep it in the fridge. Great. Anthony, how about you in addition to tomatoes, keeping them outside? You know, I, I think it's something it's something that anybody could experience, uh, experiment with or kind of understand on their own. You know, I, I think really the the end goal is that you enjoy that produce or that uh, that fruit or vegetable. And, um, you know, you might find that if you leave it out overnight and eat it in the morning or a little bit longer than that, uh, you get a little bit different characteristics out of it. So, you know, I, I really think it's, uh, it's fun to kind of play around with them. Um, but if you're going to eat anything... Uh, 24 hours, you know, within you buy after you buy it, you know, I, I think it can stay out. Which seems like an inconvenience, but often, Earl, we talk about that, um, your relationship to life and starting with produce because we all eat and we either can make that a really intimate relationship. It doesn't take much effort. It's actually fun and an invitation for, for more presence. And you're kind of the role model for me for that. I, I can truly say that on average, I don't eat anything that I don't pay attention to anymore. And I got my holistic nutrition degree some 18 years ago, and my <laughs> relationship to food has still completely changed from then to now. There's no fig where I don't stop and say, yes, this is good for these reasons, but not so much for the other even if I just use that as an opportunity for mindfulness. And you really have a conversation with your produce, right? I mean, you ripen your peaches and you talk to them and you give them names. And Well, you know, you mentioned figs, and I, and I think that's a particularly good one because I don't refrigerate my figs at all. But, on, on, but I don't buy more than one or two baskets. I leave them out on the counter and they start to shrivel. And if you don't watch out, you could collect a fly or two. But I, every day, I'll go and feel them. And the softest ones I'll eat that day. And then I'll go to work and I come back. And there's a couple, they've gotten a little more ripe. And I'll eat those. Because they're not all going to ripen at the same time. And honestly, as they're out, they they uh, lose their moisture. And they actually condense and get more concentrated. And, and, and a little a little tougher. Tougher is not really quite the word, concentrated. So, yeah, I, I think... Most of my produce outside of apples, I don't like to put it in the, in the uh, well, fruit, I don't like to put it in the refrigerator. Just leave it out. But the point is your relationship to it. There's not, you, don't <laughs> just, you don't just go away for two days and remember, oh, I had something on the counter. It's mm -hmm. food. It's oh, an yes. active extension of you that one day when you eat it will become you. So yeah. it's kind uh, of that I, ongoing conversation is happening. I am, I am a produce guy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, I have a relationship to it that that's a little different. I'm a little geeky about it. And you're But right. It is an invitation for anyone to say, you know, if you if you throw produce away, you didn't pay attention to it. It was sitting on your counter and you <laughs> overlooked it, right? Not only that, I would say take a look before you throw it away. You may I mean, we have a lot of ideas and behaviors that are just carried over from something Our, a friend, a parent told us, fact is, check it out or cut off that little portion. I mean, there's lots of different things. 
I also, you know, we we need the well, I don't know the chemistry of it all, but to, to be so sterile is not a really good thing. Uh-huh. It is fine to allow. Let's get Robert on the, on the microphone here yeah, to allow the, uh, other aspects, dirt, whatever it is. I mean, it's all part of what we're living here. No, we had a show on the biome of, you know, 80%, biome. 75% of what is us is not us. <laughs> yeah. Literally, right? Okay, yeah. And those bacteria that make us, that keep us alive, need the world outside, right? I mean, yeah, we had several shows on that, actually. <laughs> Let the world in. Okay. Yes. This is an organic conversation, late summer produce, an update from the fields, our top with Christy Biddle, Anthony Mirishada, and Earl Herrick, the founder and owner, and all of them produce experts at Earl's Organic Produce. That's earlsorganic.com, a wholesale distributor out of San Francisco, buying as local as seasonally possible throughout the year and really being the voice and the ear of the organic farmers. What are you guys excited about? Christy, when I came to Earl's last week to discuss the show, you were very excited about seeded grapes. Mm-hmm. What are some items where that you see now either coming back and even though the trend was in this case to do seedless, seedless, seedless and what are you where are you seeing quality? What are farmers trying? Where you know, where's this movement going on the field level? Well, in the grape world, as you mentioned, all of the varieties that have really been developed over the last 10, 20 years are all to be seedless um, because the experience of eating a grape where then you're kind of chewing on the seeds or spitting them out. But the trend in the new grape varieties has really been seedless and breeding for bigger size. In addition to that, there are some really incredible, I think in the grape world, there's some great new varieties coming out that are breeding for size and of course seedless, but have some really interesting and more complex flavors than some of the traditional varieties. So there's a green grape from one of our favorite growers, Sunview, called Estella Bella, which kind of has some floral notes to it and, you know, some muscat characteristics that are being bred into the red and green seedless grapes that are really delicious and fantastic. On the seeded grapes, there there's only really one that we buy and sell these days at Earl's Organics, and that's the Concord grape. Um, so it's a very small, you know, we all kind of think of Welch's grape juice and the Concord you know, has its lore and its reputation for that. And the Concord grapes are very small. The grower that we work with delivers them in paper totes. So it's kind of this old school packaging as opposed to the plastic bag. It's in a paper tote, very small in size, and it has seeds, but the flavor is outrageous. So people still go crazy for them. Is that a re, you know, rebirthing of that? Or did he ever always have that? And it's just because the quality continues to be excellent that it has survived and maybe has a resurgence now? I think that's exactly it. It's really that the flavor is so unique too good, too good, and delicious. Of. It's, it's <laughs> going to stay around. <laughs> There's hope. Yes. Yeah, but, no, you know, we have not run into any grower. There's a grower down in Arizona we occasionally source. But there's no other grower in all the years that we've been around that it's come on with a new planting of Concord grapes. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. The, that's the grower, and if that ever yeah. goes away or he retires, then yeah. that will be it for that crop. Yeah, yeah. It, wouldn't that be odd? Yeah. Yeah. Get them while they're there because they're delicious What's and the really farm should be enjoyed. Um, Heinke Family Farms. Heinke Family Farms. And they're up near Chico in Paradise. Thanks California. for what you do there. Yeah. Heinke Family Farms. <laughs> that's right. Earl, where, where else do you, not in terms of just which product, and because we want to go to Anthony next, but do you see that throughout your 30 years now in mm-hmm. the business yeah. plus, that things just were so good that they ha- have held on 
in addition or despite the market trend, wherever it was going, it was just so good as a an old produce item that it was just not you couldn't kill it. Wow. I mean, you, so you're asking me, do I? Are there any other commodities yeah. that I? Yeah. Wow. I want to out you for yeah, really how, how much how long I, you've been doing this. You know, honestly, right now I can't think of any. I'm, I'm thinking like some about peach varieties. Oh, or, oh like, well, yeah, definitely. If we're talking about varieties, there's definitely a bunch of peach varieties of which. Some of them I barely even remember. There's a coronet, which is a this wonderful low color, meaning it's kind of an orange and yellow and not a deep red. That's that's one you don't see anymore. Maybe every now and then a guy has it. There's of course the O. Henry, but that's still very popular. The Suncrest from Mas Masamoto. He's probably the only one that's doing that. So yeah, in terms of varieties, there are lots of varieties that are being replaced, whether they're there's something with better shelf life or higher color or bigger size. So, But there are examples where the farmer for 30 years just has held on to it and the quality is ridiculous and delicious and you might never see them really mm-hmm. uh, the, because the quantity that they produce is so little that you know, it barely hits the store. But yeah, and farmers also, stand and live for that? Like, Well, yeah, if, as long as they can market it. As long as they, that can, or sometimes they don't care. And they're well, just, as long as you buy it. Yeah, but also there's that whole uh, farmer's market, their own consumption. I'm sure there's growers out there with four or five trees in the backyard, and they're the only ones in captivity, and they just do them, and they put them up, and they give them to friends. So I'm sure there's a bunch of that going on. Uh, Going back to what I spoke about earlier about this tour out in the Delta, we were walking around orchards that were over 100 years old. I mean, it was really phenomenal, these gnarly trees and and the roots and everything and and this is a sixth generation family i mean to imagine six generations maintaining an orchard and having it survive and having it be successful i i was I, it was pretty amazing yeah i mean me being from germany i'm an apple kind of guy right germany especially northern germany hamburg um right on the other side of the elbe there's uh, 500 uh, square kilometers of apple growing region, all IPM, integrated pest management, the ladybug yep. is taking care of, of the aphids problem there. And strange varieties, I think a total of 300 different varieties, 300 yep. plus from the Spitzenberg to the yeah. Howard Pippin to sub varieties you've never heard of. It is that diversity that non-organic agriculture just doesn't support. Like some of these varieties, mm-hmm. if they were no longer grown by that grower, would be gone possibly from the U.S. Mm-hmm. forever. Yeah, and there is a resurgence with that heirloom apple. Uh, uh, there's a couple farms that we deal with up north a bit that have several dozen varieties uh, that, are, that they're trying out. Yeah. And they're challenged because they don't yield a lot. Um, yeah, the apple farm, Philo, Tim Bates. I don't yep. know if you buy from him, but yep. amazing. Yeah, like there's a guy dozens f- and dozens. further on, uh, filigree up in that same Anderson Valley. Uh, and there's, there's challenges to it. And totally. um, it's got to be a bit of love to it and, and just keeping that unique thing alive. Since I have you, what are you excited about? the mm. Figs. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's such a short period of time, the good figs. And, and for me, there's one in particular called the Adriatic. And we get about, I don't know, 10 boxes a week for a month. And that's not oh, a lot of figs. for a month. Yeah, and, <laughs> and they're just totally outrageous. You know, they're green, light green, maybe yellow exterior. And when they're ripe, they're deep magenta red. And that's exactly how they taste, just this, uh, uh, this off-the-hook, 
about, I don't know, so 25, 30% <laughs> sugar. Just for our <laughs> listeners to put that in perspective, we're talking Earl's Organic, specialized in all, you know, seasonally local, small, specialized, really in the, in the world with all due respect of food distribution. You're completely niche, but yes. you are an expert and you're the biggest in that and the best. So we're talking 10, how many trucks do you have? Uh, about 10 or 12. Yeah. Yeah. 10 or 12 trucks, like three times the size of a moving truck, like gigantic. And so there's a fair amount of organic produce that comes in and out by oh. the hour, right? Oh, yes. And you are dealing with farmers where 10 boxes is what they produce. Yeah. And there's yeah. still that detail to the micro. Yeah. I mean, 10 boxes is nothing. It fills the yeah. corner of one of those trucks once, oh. Oh. and that will be the entire crop. Good for you. <laughs> Anthony, <laughs> for the love of produce. Anthony, how about you? What, what are you seeing? What are you ex most excited about? What trend, what crop have you not seen in years is coming back? Like, what's happening? Well, you know, I, I think um, to revisit the tomatoes quickly, you know, I'm, I'm excited about tomatoes. They're, they're going to continue through September. Uh, still a lot of really fun varieties, some tasty stuff. And, um, you know, mostly at, after this summer now, just looking forward to moving into the fall season and and um, hopefully a little bit cooler weather, uh, being able to, you know, allow a lot of the broccolis and kales, the brassicas to to grow a little bit better. And then also um, with that cooler climate, that cooler season, possibly, you know, allowing them to sweeten up a little bit. Right around Labor Day now, uh, it's been a really good year for corn. Uh, white corn, yellow corn, and also bicolor coming out of California and um, recently just moving up to uh, the Pacific Northwest. Um, some really good corn growers uh, up there as well. So uh, good stuff for the holiday. Ladies and gentlemen, lady and gentlemen, <laughs> <laughs> beautiful job. I think this is, once again, you guys make this podcast meaningful to me. This is why I'm doing it. It's really like we, we need your attention and love and care and ear and, and voice from the field. And then hopefully I can contribute with this podcast to make it accessible to as many people as possible but this is kind of the epicenter or the the epitome of of that attempt to give the farmer a voice that you don't hear in media and that needs to be heard for people to understand what we are talking about and what we're dealing with so mm -hmm. i can't thank you enough for what you do and for coming to the studio today that's christy biddle earl herrick and anthony mirshada from earl's organic produce we'll have you back super soon again. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Olga. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And that's Late Summer Produce, an update, and an update it was from the fields. And that wraps up a beautiful hour. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thank you so much for listening. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you also to our associate producer, Kristen Ponger. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Equal Exchange, a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at equalexchange.coop. And Utterly, offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Every garment reduces our eco-footprint 
by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Utterly, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, utterly.co. Also, Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? Anyone can buy directly from Earl's Organic at wholesale prices. The website is earlsorganic.com. And Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine without synthetic sulfites or other preservatives. Family-owned and operated since 1980. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Lastly, thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to anorganicconversation.com or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play so you'll never miss an episode. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, find us on Facebook and Instagram at An Organic Conversation and on Twitter at Talk Organic. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be back with another great episode right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. <music>